so glad you're here. I'm, I'm glad to be with you this morning. Uh, it's always a joy to be in the Word, and I trust that it, uh, even though the, me- the Word might be a, a, a little bit hard this morning, um, I p- pray that it would just uh, really saturate our hearts with the joy of the Lord. Uh, so we're back at Thessalonians today. Uh, the church at Thessalonica was one of the, the best New Testament churches. It was one of the most loving churches, and we've talked a lot about that. Uh, but every church has its weaknesses, and the weakness of the Thessalonian Christians was idleness or being irresponsible to meet their own needs and becoming unnecessarily dependent on others. I'm sure not everyone in the church had this problem, but it was enough of an issue that Paul addressed it in both letters to them. Uh, This fault uh, seemed, seemed to flow from a misapplication of the Lord's return. Uh, apparently, some thought, if the Lord is coming soon, why should we settle down and do routine things like going to work? Well, Paul puts a stop to that thinking, and he commands them uh, to work in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and not be idle. Now, the return of Jesus should motivate us in a lot of different ways. The return of Christ should motivate us to holiness. Uh, It should make us full of hope and joy for the future. It should not make us irresponsible for our lives, our needs, or our future. Now, the other thing that could have tempted them to avoid the routine of everyday work was persecution. Uh, Serious problems in our lives can cause us to lose focus or to lose interest in taking care of ordinary responsibilities. Well, whatever the reason, Paul wanted them to settle down and get back to work. And he taught believers not only to love and to pray and to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but also to work and even to work hard. The inevitable result of not working is to become dependent on others to take care of you, and and Paul was not a fan of that. And also, if you're not busy with your own work, uh, you tend to become busy with other people's work. Uh, You tend to meddle in other people's affairs, or you, you try to manage how other people are living, and Paul called people like this busybodies. That's where this term comes from. And he was adamantly opposed to that way of living. And in 2 Thessalonians 3, 7, which we read, Paul said, for you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day so that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. So Paul worked hard because he loved these people and he did not want to be an extra burden to them but also because he wanted to show them how Christians work and seek to avoid being a burden to others. Uh, 
he gave himself as an example for them and for us, which we have, of course, through the scriptures, which we've just read. And he was saying to the, to the Thessalonians, he was saying to them, by example, this is what the Christian life looks like. This is what a spirit-filled life looks like. This is what a Christ-centered life looks like. It looks like labor and toil, at least that is a part of it. And there is a connection between loving people and work. Paul said, we urge you to love your brothers more and more and to aspire to live quietly and mind your own affairs and to work with your hands. He combines these two commands together. And as I said earlier, we've talked a lot in our previous messages in 1 Thessalonians about loving affection for one another. The love that the Thessalonians had for each other, the love and affection they had for Paul, the affection that Paul had for them. But now he urges them to, to love the brothers even more and to aspire to live quietly and work with their hands. A part of loving people, it's not the whole picture, but a part of loving people is taking responsibility for your own affairs. Uh, you are loving them by not being a burden to them. Alexander McLaren in his commentary said, we show a loving heart with diligent hands. Paul was probably also warning them against using the concept of brotherly love to presume on your brothers to meet your needs. Uh, In other words, some people might say, hey, we're supposed to love each other, so you should meet my needs. Uh, And some people do use this kind of reasoning, and they actually use the command to love one another. They use love as a weapon to accuse other people of not doing enough for them. And so Paul was probably straightening out all these kinds of misapplications or misuse of the whole idea of brotherly love within the church. Of course, the Bible does teach us to bear one another's burdens, right? And it teaches us to learn to meet pressing needs in each other's lives. And it commands us to remember the poor. And our scriptures this morning should never be used to justify uh, a heartless indifference to other people with real needs. There are the elderly, there's widows, there's the sick, the disabled, there's those faced with uh, various kinds of needs and disaster. And if you remember in the New Testament, when there was a famine in the church in Jerusalem, or a famine in Jerusalem, the, the churches all around that area all kicked in to support the believers uh, in that crisis. So any one of us can be overwhelmed with trial or financial need and because we are a body the Bible says when one one member hurts we all hurt and so we help each other but on the other hand some people may or can go too far and expect others to step in and meet their needs Uh, the word we would use for that today is entitlement. 
just an expectation that everybody else should, should uh, step in and take care of me or meet my needs. Or some create their own neediness by being irresponsible or idle. And that's what Paul was warning against here in this passage. He just, he did not want that to go on in the church. Also because we are to love and care for one another, Christians sometimes can assume a false sense of responsibility for rescuing people from the consequences of idleness or irresponsible living. And Paul wanted believers, each one, to meet their own needs as a general rule within the body of Christ. And he even in 2 Thessalonians, he even tells the church not to help those who will not work. Uh, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. So the love of a church family uh, should never enable those who simply won't work uh, to keep on living that way. That's, that's not love and grace. Uh, it's, it's feeding a character problem or it's feeding a problem in that person's life. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, Paul said, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. Paul does not want idleness or irresponsible living to infiltrate the church. And so he says, uh, don't affirm this kind of living. Don't fellowship with this person like or as if nothing is wrong. Uh, real love and grace uh, doesn't help or facilitate people to continue living in bad habits or disobedience. Now, Paul goes on which in a, a couple of verses later, which we didn't read this morning, and he says, yet, you know, don't regard this kind of person as an enemy, but Admonish him or exhort him as a brother. Uh, let that kind of person know that as a brother, that's not the way that we are to live in the body of Christ. Now, I think Galatians 6 reveals uh, a dichotomy or maybe a tension that I think probably all of us feel, or at least I feel, when we talk about this subject that that is before us in, in God's word this morning. And in Galatians chapter 6, uh, Paul, in verse 2, Paul said, bear one another's burdens. And so we should do that, right? That's a command. Bear one another's burdens. Just a couple of verses further, Paul said, each person ought to carry his own load. Okay, so which is it? Well, obviously, it's both. Uh, we are to aspire to, to bear our own load, but we are also, when the situation is right and wise and in the Lord's leading, we are also to make every effort to bear the burdens of others. And it just takes prayer and wisdom and discernment. But we are, a part of our, our life as believers is doing both of those things. But 
In this letter, 1 Thessalonians, Paul's emphasis is that the normal pattern of life for each of us is to manage our own lives and to attend to our own needs. Let me give you a practical example of this. Uh, Years ago, uh, back at uh, Des Moines Fellowship Church, uh, there was a dear Christian brother, uh, young, young man in that church, who had taken on this massive uh, remodeling project in, in his home. And he was doing it, doing it himself. Uh, he wasn't hiring it done. And Sunday after Sunday, he would make an appeal. He would stand up and make an appeal for people to come help him uh, either that afternoon or whatever with his remodeling work. Well, that was great for a while. I mean, hey, we can, all, we can step in and help this dear brother, and that's good. But before long, it got to be like, hey, brother, you need to take care of your own business. You can't just keep pushing uh, the church or presuming upon everybody else to get, get this job done for you. All right, I hope you understand that example. And I think the apostles uh, dealt with issues in the church just that practical. And that's what this passage is about this morning. All right, let's get into uh, verse 11. Let's, I want to start and move through the key uh, verses or key thoughts that Paul uh, has before us in, in this scripture. Verse 11 begins, aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. Uh, the word uh, aspire is translated in the New American Standard, uh, ambition. New American Standard says make it your ambition to live quietly. Uh, the word quietly means peaceful or calm. It's the opposite of living in turmoil or with upheaval. So we are, we are commanded to aspire or to make it our ambition to live a quiet or calm, well-ordered life. It's in a little different context, but in 1 Timothy 2, you remember that we're supposed to pray for people in authority over us, and Paul said, pray that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all dignity and godliness. And I think that's something like what Paul was was instructing the believers here at Thessalonica that you would live a tranquil and quiet life in dignity and godliness. There's several ways that quiet living uh, applies to us, and I'm going to go over just a few. Uh, This quiet life applies to our activities or just what we do. We should resist a hyperactive, kind of frantic, hectic pace of living. And I I know life can often be busy, especially at certain seasons. But it seems apparent from this verse that we should seek to order our lives in a way that leads to more peaceful or calm or quiet living. Uh, Proverbs 17.1 says, Better is a dry morsel in quietness than a house full of feasting with strife. There's just something really good about a quiet life and a quiet home and quiet, a quiet manner of living. 
Some of us, honestly, live in a way and choose to live in a way that tends to create calamity, emergencies, exhaustion, and chaos. Uh, Some of us take on just too much without thinking about the impact on ourselves or our family or our marriage. And Paul said, don't live like that. Live quietly. Make that your goal. It is a choice. Uh, Decide to do this, I I think is what Paul is saying. When he says aspire to do this, he's, he's challenging us to decide to live a quiet life. Uh, develop a game plan for living a quieter, tranquil life. A quiet life also applies to our hearts, uh, or to our, to our emotions, we might say. Uh, Paul said, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. In other words, in a sense, it's like Paul is saying, uh, let the peace of Jesus crowd out every other emotion. Let the peace of Jesus be predominant. Let it reign supreme in your heart. And most of us know the, the verse uh, in, in Psalm, I can't remember which Psalm it is right now, where the Lord says, be still and know that I am God. I mean, God wants us to have a certain kind of stillness in our hearts, in our emotions about the way we live life. So we should, we should aspire to this kind of quietness and calm in our hearts uh, no matter what is going on in the world around us. Be still and know that I am God. A quiet life uh, also applies to our relationships. Uh, Romans twelve eighteen, Paul said, If possible, as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And continually throughout the scripture we are we're urged to live in in the unity of the spirit. Uh, we're urged to live in the oneness of the Holy Spirit. We're urged to live in harmony with one another. Uh, in, in Philippians 4, Paul names two women in the church at Philippi and he says to these two ladies, Syntyche and Neodia, or something like that. I'm not sure if I got the pronunciations right. But he says to these two dear ladies, I urge you to agree in the Lord. Or some translations say, be of the same mind. Paul wants them to resolve their conflict. He wants them to have peace. He wants their, to, to be quietness restored to their relationship. All right, all of those are biblical applications we could and I think should take uh, from this scripture. But in the context, in the overall context of this passage, I think Paul primarily means the quietness that comes from being diligent to manage your own life and needs. Okay? In other words, Quiet living flows out of working steadily, faithfully, and regularly to take care of your own life. That leads to, the, to a more peaceful, tranquil life. Uh, 
Idleness, irresponsibility creates drama and crisis. Probably all of us could think of examples of that, maybe in our own life or certainly in what we observe around us. I mean, if, if, if you are not faithful uh, to work, to, uh, to manage your own affairs, as Paul says here, if you don't do that, life will become a series of crises, emergencies, and needs. Now, Paul... Uh, picks up this theme of quietness again in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And uh, I'm sure you, you have picked up my uh, flow of thought. I, I, there, there's basically Paul addresses the same, the same issue in two passages. And that's why Brian read two passages for us this morning. He speaks about, this, he addresses the issue in 1 Thessalonians 3, uh, 4 and then he comes back to it again and actually in a much stronger way addresses it again in, in 2 Thessalonians 3. And here's what he said in 2 Thessalonians 3 on this theme of quiet living. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. One of the old commentators, Gill, uh, John Gill, who I like a lot, uh, said, Paul commands them to work with their hands to support themselves, to provide for their families. By doing this, they will live peaceable and quiet lives in godliness and honesty, and they will not disturb the peace of neighborhoods, churches, and families. So he's pointing out just this same thing that I said that this, the command, by, by following Paul's command to work, mind their own affairs, pro, and provide for their families, support themselves, they will, this will lead. By the, doing this, they will have more peaceable and quiet lives, not only for themselves, but it makes a quieter life for everybody around them. All right, verse 11, after, after the uh, admonishment to aspire to live quietly, uh, Paul says, live quietly and mind your own affairs. Uh, New American Standard says, attend to your own matters. Uh, actually, I like the, the old King James Version here. It says, do your own business. <laughs> I like that. Pretty direct. Do your own business. Uh, the New King James says, mind your own business. I, several translations do that. You get the idea. Uh, it's... Take responsibility for your own things, for uh, your own life. And Paul says this solves a lot of problems, uh, which he points out again in the Second Thessalonians passage in, in verse 11. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. So if you're, if you're busy taking care of your own life, uh, you don't have time to disrupt uh, or interfere with other people's lives. You have less time to complain, less time to gossip, less time to cause trouble or division in the church or elsewhere. And so the idea is to attend to your own affairs without interfering in the affairs of others or manage your own life without trying to manage 
other people and tell them what to do. Uh, I debated whether to share this example, but I, I think it makes it pretty clear because I think actually one group of people that can have a problem in this is retired people. And throughout the years of home building, uh, we found that it was generally harder to build for retired people. Not all of them, uh, but some of them had so much time on their hands that they just meddled so continuously in the building process that it made the process much more painful and harder for them uh, and, and for us. Uh, in other passages, it's clear that Paul sees that too much time or too much free time, too much idle time is an open door for Satan. And he says that in 1 Timothy chapter 5, and that's why he wanted the younger widows to remarry, to have children, and to take care of their own homes, because without managing children and a home, Paul said they may, quote, learn to be idlers going about from house to house as gossips and busybodies. That's 1 Timothy 5, 13. So Paul saw work being busy, managing our own life, he saw that as a protection from, in a wrongful or harmful way, bothering other people, or from having time to talk too much, and from gossiping, and just going around and talking about other people and their affairs. So, again, work is, work is, a, is, is a safeguard, so he says, it's, it's a command, mind, mind your own affairs. Verse 11, mind your own affairs and work with your own hands as I instructed you. So, uh, really there's at least three times that Paul has, has instructed them how to work and to work hard. Uh, he did that when he was with them in person. Uh, he does that here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And then he does it again in 2 Thessalonians. Work with your own hands as I instructed you. This is not only a, a command from uh, the Apostle Paul that we could choose to ignore or evaluate. This is the word of God. It's, it's a command of the Lord. All scripture is inspired by God. This is breathed out by God. He says, work with your own hands. Uh, work is godly. Uh, it's the will of God for you to get up and do your work or to go to work to do your job if that's the case. It's spiritual to work. It pleases the Lord. Working hard to provide for your own needs is a holy and acceptable part of God's will for you. Uh, I like history, and uh, I remember when I read uh, Martin Luther's biography, Here I Stand, uh, I was struck with how, uh, how much at the time of the Refora Reformation there was, there was this need to elevate uh, working with your hands as something that was spiritual and, and had dignity. Uh, during the Middle Ages, the uh, monastic life or the contemplative life kind of isolated and just spending hours praying psalms or singing or doing things like that. That was, 
that was considered the spiritual ideal. That was considered the most spiritual thing to do. And everybody else, all you guys that were just out there taking care of your gardens or farming or whatever, uh, that, was, that was very much less spiritual. Well, the, the Luther and the Reformers came along and they, ta- they taught the spiritual dignity of work. It wasn't something they just mentioned. They made a big deal out of this. They felt that it was extremely important to teach the spiritual dignity of work and they taught that no job had greater spiritual dignity than another. Uh, they taught that work was the will of God for all believers, e- even for the, for the rich. It was just important for them to not live idly but to get busy doing something. So, uh, the biblical command here is to work with your own hands. And I don't want to uh, miss that important phrase, work with your own hands. Uh, you can glorify God by farming, by cleaning houses, laying bricks, swinging a hammer, or, of course, by managing a business, running an office, what, whatever. But working with your hands is a good and a and a god honoring way to work a.w tozier uh, wrote a chapter in, in his book uh, the pursuit pursuit of god in which he he felt it was really important to tear down this distinction between the secular and the sacred in our lives because uh, we think part of our lives are for God, and part of our lives are for ourselves. And Tozier said, every kind of work is sacred for the Christian. And here's his quote, let every man abide in the calling or in the work wherein he is called, and his labor or his work will be as sacred as the work of the ministry. It is not what a man does that determines whether his work is sacred or secular. It is why he does it. Let a man sanctify the Lord Jesus Christ in his heart, and he can thereafter do no common act, or we could say no common work. All he does is good and acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Luther Christ worked as a carpenter. The Virgin Mary went back and milked cows and swept the house like any housemaid. There's no verse on that, but Luther's using his sanctified imagination there. Peter worked as a fisherman. Paul made tents. Even so, we must labor in our our callings, and the the lowlier the task, the better. This is Luther. The milkmaid and the man hauling manure are doing a a work more pleasing to God than the psalm-singing Carthusian monks. So what's his point? He wanted people to know that working with your hands is pleasing to God. And so we should be willing to work. And we should be willing to work with our own hands. Not be afraid of physical labor, if that's what we're called to. All right, then Paul wraps up uh, this exhortation to the Thessalonians with two final reasons to work. First, he said, uh, 
so that all these things that I've told you so far, you know, to work quietly, manage your own affairs, uh, work with your hands, he says, so that you may walk properly toward or before outsiders. Uh, Working hard, working faithfully, uh, carrying out your daily duties, whatever they are, week after week, is a part of a good witness for Jesus Christ. It just is. And that mattered to Paul. Paul cared deeply about the reputation of believers. He cared deeply about the reputation of the church. And that's, he said, here's why I'm making this appeal to you. I want you guys to have a good reputation uh, with those outside the church, with, with the unbelieving world. You know, Peter had that same concern. He said, your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. So, working hard, working and living, living a quiet and tranquil life wins the respect of those outside the church. It helps to silence uh, the, the critics of Christianity. It's, it, it's, not, it's a part of your witness for Jesus Christ. It's, it's a part of our collective witness uh, as a church to the watching world. And believe me, they are watching you and they are watching us. And so the way we work is an important part of our testimony. And then the final reason that Paul lists he says, so, uh, so that uh, uh, you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. And he, he brings up the same point in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 12. Now, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own uh, living. So be, to be dependent on no one uh, to earn their own living. Now, that's the ESV, says earn their own living. Uh, New American Standard, uh, most of the older translations translate it liber- uh, literally. And so what does it say literally? Probably some of you know it. To eat your own bread. <laughs> uh, yeah, the f- so that's literally that last phrase. Eat, eat your own bread so that they may... Uh, uh, work quietly and eat their own bread. Uh, so this, this doesn't mean that we don't share our bread with others. There's plenty of commands about doing that. Uh, but it commands us to work so that we would have our own bread to eat and to share, and, but not have to presume upon others to do things that we should be doing for ourselves. So that's where Paul wraps this exhortation up. And apparently, uh, some in Thessalonica didn't pay much attention to Paul's instructions when he was with them in person. And he said, he he not only taught them, instructed them to work, but he says, uh, I myself labored and toiled day and night and I didn't eat anybody's bread without paying for it. I did this to be an example so that you would know how to work. So he, he set the example. 
He instructed them when he was with them in person. He writes this first letter of Thessalonians to them and gives them this instruction again, which we've just covered this morning. But apparently some didn't pay much attention to the command, these earlier commands, and so Paul comes with this stronger, I would say, uh, command, and even with a, even with a, with a more severe warning uh, accompanying it in 2 Thessalonians. And so uh, if you take those two pa- passages that we read this morning, I think, I think you'll see that, just the, the, the stronger, firmer word from Paul in the second letter than in the first. And again, I'm, I'm sure that's just because there were people who apparently had not uh, taken heed to what, to what he had already told them. So uh, the lesson for us is we would do well to uh, pay attention to this word this morning. Uh, we would do well to just give heed to this and let the Spirit search our lives and our hearts and just do, do whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do in us uh, from this situation today. I believe that the heart of every Christian, every true child of God, uh, in your heart there is a desire to serve the Lord uh, and to please the Lord. I mean, that's just part of the new birth. Uh, You want to serve Jesus. You want to please the Lord. One problem or misconception that throws... uh, some of us off in this is that we sometimes think we can only please him by doing some grandiose thing. But in the Bible we see that so much of what the Lord commands us to do and wants us to do is just ordinary daily obedience like going to work and meeting our needs. And, of course, as I said, we, I mean, we glorify God in a lot of ways, right? We glorify God with our whole life by what we eat and drink. Uh, we glorify God in singing and praying and using the gifts of the Holy Spirit and uh, seeing people saved and baptized, all of that. And we want all of those things. But we also glorify God by living quietly and working to take care of our own affairs um, living a more tranquil life. So, I don't know if you expected this to hear this when you came to church this morning. Probably might be a surprise to some. Uh, but you know what? You never know what you're going to hear on a Sunday morning when you preach through the Bible. Uh, it's just, you just hear what God has for you from his word. That's the reason it's so good to, to go through these books. All right. Um, this word this morning is, uh, is practical. Uh, don't dismiss it as being you know, less spiritual than some other things. It's the will of God. It's important. And so let's, uh, let's do a better job of giving heed to it than apparently the Thessalonians uh, did. Let's pray. Let's stand and pray.